Welcome to Unconventionally Speaking, the PSA podcast where we go behind the scenes to learn about the triumphs and tribulations that help shape the careers of our Unconvention 2022 learning gurus and experienced masters. Not only will you get a sneak peek into their session, you'll also gain valuable insight into the speaking business and tips on how to navigate the challenges and opportunities that lie ahead. I'm sitting here speaking with the speaker's speaker. In fact, he was, I suspect he's speaking royalty for he is the president of the Global Speakers Federation. Please welcome to this latest edition of our unconventional podcast, Steve. Oh, I'm going to stuff his surname up, Steve Lowell. Perfect. Did I get it right? <laughs> you nailed oh, yeah. it. You nailed it. Fantastic. <laughs> and Steve's coming all the way from Ottawa in Canada, where it's very, very cold at the moment for him and very, very hot for us. Steve, thank you so much for your time today. Well, I am so excited. Thank you for inviting me. There's a lot of amazing things coming up that we have to look forward to, and I'm just so excited to be part of it. Excellent. Let's get straight into the meaty goodness of the question because we're on a podcast here and we're not seeing you. We can't see your showreel, so I'm interested. Give us the two-minute audio version of your showreel. What do you usually speak on and how do you wow your audiences? Sure. So um, if you're an entrepreneur, an expert, a thought leader, and you've got a unique or a complex idea and your market doesn't really understand why they need you instead of your competition – I'm the guy who teaches you how to craft the sales message for a platform or a boardroom, teaches you how to present it a very specific tactical way so that you can close the sale. So that's basically what I do. Now, I've been training professional speakers around the world for 35 years. And so, you know, I've done all the different things that speakers need to do. But that's my focus now. That's sort of where my sweet spot is. Yeah, fantastic. And that must be a nice one because basically you're helping people make money, which is always a good thing to do. It's a good thing to do. And I found that people are quite open to that idea. <laughs> yeah, especially this day and age more than ever. Hey, now, we know that the Hollywood greats have all had some secret careers before they became famous. What's yours? What did you do before you were a professional speaker? I was a musician. I started playing professionally at the age of six. Um, I had my old band, toured the country, had fan clubs, made records, all those things. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> what happened was I, uh, over the years, the band changed and I ended up just being a solo artist, just me and my guitar. And I wasn't really a very strong singer when I was growing up. I was always the front man in the band. And so I was doing this solo performance and people would come up to me and they'd hear me sing and they'd say, you know, Steve, maybe you should consider just saying the words. And so I heeded that advice, uh, Warwick, and I decided to become a professional speaker instead. <laughs> uh, look, can I tell you, there are so many singers who should follow that advice. <laughs> I don't get Bob Dylan. People say how much of a great singer he is, and it's, hey, he, he. So, uh, yeah, n nice transition. Do you still play? Do you still play for fun and play with friends? Yeah, every now and then um, I pick up my guitar and just noodle on it, you know, but I've I've kind of lost all my professional chops because uh, it's been a lot of years yeah. since I took it seriously, you know. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just transitioned those professional chops from music over to speaking, which we love. So what was the turning point? You know, obviously, you know, uh, and I'm, geez, I hope you're joking when you said people said you should speak, not sing. But was there a specific turning point where you went, you know what, full-time professional speaker, that's what I need to do? Yeah, it was in my 20s, actually. And I, uh, it never occurred to me, you know, all those years on, on stage, it never occurred to me that other people found that difficult. It never entered my awareness that people don't want to be in front of an audience. And I thought, why would you not want to be in front of an audience? So what happened is in my 20s, I had, uh, I had watched a, a Zig Ziglar uh, tape. And I watched him on the stage and I said, man, there's no equipment. There's no roadies. There's no guitars. There's no mess on the stage. What a beautiful job that looks like, you know. So I just sort of embarked on the process of learning about the professional speaking world. And then I, I, I just sort of fell into it that way. You're currently the GSF president. You have been the CAPS president. How long have you been part of uh, the professional speaking body and what's your perspective on playing a key role in that organization? So I've been in the associations for 10 years and I actually became part of the leadership on the day of. So on my very first day joining CAPS, I came and I said, okay, now I'm a member. And it, it actually took me four years to decide to join because I came to the meetings as guests uh, you know, over and over again. And I kept thinking in my head, why would I spend all the money to join when I can just go to the meetings, you know? And then what happened was people started asking me, are you a member of CAPS? And I would say, no. And it, what occurred to me was my answer was usually no, not yet. And my intention with that answer was, I haven't decided if it's for me yet. But what I was hearing, as soon as it came out of my mouth, what people were hearing was, no, not yet, as in, I don't qualify yet. And that's not the message I wanted to them to know, even though at the time it was probably true. But then after about four years, I decided enough people were asking me that it was time that the answer had to, had to be yes. So I joined. And on the very first day that I joined, I went to the president of the chapter and I said, how can I serve? You know, what's available for me to do here? Because I don't I don't want to just be a passive member. I want to contribute somehow. And it turned out that there was an opening on the board. And so somebody had left their post and he and he said to me, well, we have a programming chairs uh, availability. Um, do you want to do that? I said, sure. And he said, well, we're having a board meeting tomorrow. Would you like to come? And so I said, well, of course. So my second day, I went to the board meeting and it was in April and or May around that time. And the incoming president who was supposed to take over the keys in uh, December, he was at the board meeting and he said, you know, folks, I'm sorry, some things have happened. I'm going to have to uh, bow out and leave the association. And and everybody looked around and, and people were saying, so who's going to be our president next year? And I just looked around and nobody stepped up. So I said, I'll do it. So they said, okay. So, so my second day in association, I became president elect, uh, for the Ottawa chapter. I served as president for two years in Ottawa and then I went to the national board and I served there until I became part of the GSF board and I've served there. So I have served in leadership from the very minute that I became a member of the body of the professional speaking world. What's the benefit been to your business from doing that? 
Um, uh, many, many benefits. I mean, it's, it's countless, but the main benefits are, are these. Number one is I've had the opportunity to learn about business, uh, about speaking, about leadership, about management from some of the best in the world, you know, through the associations. And so I've become a better speaker, a better person, a better leader, a better business person. Um, and in addition to that, the connection equity has just been stellar. I mean, my wife, Jane, and I, we work in the business together and we've built a global business and we've built relationships all around this world that will be friends with us forever and ever and ever. And none of that would have happened if it weren't through the associations. Have you ever had a time with your business that you've thought too hard, this speaking industry is just too hard trying to do, I'm going to just throw in the towel and go and get a real job. Has that ever happened? And why did you keep going? Yeah, take your pick, brother. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, oh man, many, 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 many times, and, uh, and you know, there's no one particular isolated time, but there, there have been many. You know, because you know the the speaking business is like a lot of businesses, is up and down like a toilet seat. You know, it's great and then it's not great and then it's great and it's not great. And so, what kept me going was pure passion. You know, um, the one place that I love to be more than anywhere else in the entire world is on a platform, uh, and a you know, either performing or speaking or training or coaching or I just I need to be on the platform. And and so it was that love of the platform. And because I, I knew, you know, this sounds sort of self-serving, but I knew I was really good at what I was doing. And I was I was watching the impact that I was having on others and watching them grow their businesses, watching them become, you know, powerful speakers, watching them share their messages and their messages were changing lives. So that whole thing is what really drives my, you know, drives me at, at the passion level. And so it was pure passion, pure willpower, um, you know, keeping up the good fight over and over again, just reminding myself why I'm doing what I'm doing. You said before you work with your wife, how has that been? Like, has there been any challenges? Because uh, the role as business partner versus the role as wife or and your role as husband, has that added additional challenges and how do you deal with that? Absolutely not. In fact, uh, Jane and I are a relatively new couple. We've been together seven years now and we merged our businesses together about five years ago. And we both come from um, difficult pasts when it comes to marriage and relationships. And so we all we, we brought our baggage, you know, to get together and we ironed it out. And no challenges. Absolutely not. I mean, we do everything together. We fly everywhere together. Uh, we work together. We live together. We do everything together. And it's it's a measure of security that I've never experienced. And, and I, here's what I tell people. I tell people that I didn't know I was lonely until I wasn't lonely anymore. And it was Jane that changed a lot of my life. And Jane is, I don't know if you know, but she, Jane is known around the world as the seven-figure mindset mentor. Jane comes from an eight-figure business that she retired from in 2010 and went into coaching. And so she really helped me. And she's one of the reasons why I was able to keep going because I had hit a spot, um, I guess, um, you know, maybe 10, 10, 12 years ago where um, my business had kind of flatlined a little bit. And no matter what I tried, I couldn't get past that ceiling that I had hit. And that was one of those throw in the towel times, you know. Um, but Jane really helped me change my belief systems, change my mindset. She helped me change everything that was going on from the neck up. Uh, and then the business started to, to really pick up. And so I married her. Uh, and and, uh, and now, and this is what we do. We do everything together all of the time, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it any other way. Fantastic. You're talking about some of the mindset issues that's changed, helped you shift. 
what are some of the methods like in terms of how did you get unstuck? Was it just a different focus? Was there specific um, processes that you went through? How did you get yourself unstuck? Yeah, there were some specific processes that she brought to the table that I didn't believe in at the time, but I I was open. You know, she said, you know, will you let me try? I said, sure. And there's, there's a big story behind this and we don't, we don't have time to go through the whole thing. But here's the short version of the story is what she helped me do was this. She helped me confront specific belief systems that I didn't even know existed. She helped me confront these belief systems that were not serving me. And I had to put my ego aside and I had to look at these belief systems that she identified by asking me a million questions over many hours, uh, almost like therapy. And she, she said, these are the belief systems that, you know, that she's recognizing. I had to come face to face with those belief systems. And then what she did was she helped me understand that these belief systems served me at the time when they were developed. And they don't serve me anymore. And what she's a master at doing is not just changing a belief system. She's a master at, you know, replacing a belief system. Pull one out and put another one in it, in its place. And, and so she helped me change a belief system, exchange a, a belief system that wasn't serving me and replace it with a belief system that would serve me. And so the process uh, didn't take too long, but it was, it was a tough process. It was, it took a lot of me to, you know, to set my ego aside and say to myself, you know, Steve, maybe you don't know everything, right? Maybe you should be open to considering the possibility that, you know, maybe she's got a point, right? And then when, when I started doing that, then things started opening up. And of course, this yeah, is the yeah. work that she does all over the world. Yeah. Good on you. Cause that's, that's hard yakka to disassemble your, your own brain and then put it back together in a healthier manner so that's mm. that would have been physically and mentally exhausting as well these last two years will have been physically and mentally exhausting and uh, it's had a big impact on our industry i'd love to ask you a question that i'd need you to answer from two perspectives one as your business and one as what you've seen from gsf so let's start with yours first how has it affected you and what's different? What do you do differently now than what you did, say, two years ago? Sure. So, you know, we had to do what a lot of people have had to do is make make the pivot, right? So two years ago, we earned our living traveling. Uh, we were on the road all the time, all over the world, and it was glorious and it was it was great and we loved it. And of course, um, when uh, when the pandemic hit, uh, everything shut down, as, as you know. And so we had to do the instant transition to uh, virtual delivery. Um, I had done a lot of my coaching virtually because I coach all over the world, but uh, I'd never done events uh, virtually. So we had to change very, very, very quickly. And, um, and we had some good people in our corner that helped us with some of the technology and some of the techniques and those things. So we did. And, and the first maybe four or five months were a little bit scary for us, you know, to generate revenue. But, but we made the switch. We, in, we invested in a new home because we needed more space. And we knew if we weren't going to travel, we need to have studio space. We need to have office space, a bigger office space. So we, we moved to a very large home where we could accommodate all of those things. And, uh, and then we just went to town and everything we just forced through, you know, he did hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of online stuff, some of it to no audience at all, some of it to, you know, several hundred people. But, you know, it was just like stepping back and starting all over again. You remember when we started the speaking business, right? If there was, if there was somebody with a pulse in the audience, we would speak, right? Because that, that's the deal to, to get the chops up. 
So we did that and, and, and we just, again, sheer willpower and force, you know, we just, we just made it happen. And we're really excited now because we're back on the live stage now. Uh, we're still doing a lot of virtual things, but uh, we're back on the live stage from time to time. We got some great things coming up. So we're going back to that. So now I'd love you to put your GSF hat on and look at, okay, two years has had a big impact and around the world, a lot of people going online, whatever. What do you think this coming, let's, I'm not even going to go two years out. I'm just going to look in the next like six to 12 months. What do you see uh, happening in the speaking world? Yeah, a couple of things. Number one is there has been a big buzz over the last year about uh, hybrid events. And everybody that I spoke to, speakers bureaus, event planners, speakers, you know, everybody who's in the business, uh, I got a lot of this buzz about hybrid events and how it was going to work. And, and I've, I've spoken at some hybrid events and I've been to some hybrid events. And what I'm hearing now is that people don't really like the hybrid events as much as they thought they would. And certainly speakers are not really excited about it because it's double the work for, for a lot of them. And it's becoming quite actually expensive for organizations to run hybrid events. So what I believe is going to happen over the next six months or a year is I think people are going to still to try to launch hybrid events because they need to do some Something. And there are parts of the world, obviously, where they can't meet still. And then that, that's why we're doing this, right? Because they, they can't meet. So hybrid events, I believe, are going to be a big part of the next six months. But I think what's going to happen is we're going to see where people are, are going to be less franchised with them. They're, they're just not going to really enjoy them as much as they thought. It's not going to be as easy as they thought. And so that I, I believe that as the whole pandemic starts to iron down, you know, to ramp down, uh, live events are going to come back. Now, the virtual events are always going to be there, I think, because it is easy. They do work and people, you know, it's expected and, and it's accepted now. So I think virtual events will always be there. Uh, and people I'm speaking to in the speaking world now. They just can't wait to get back on the platform and, and, you know, and because this is what's in our blood. It's part of our DNA. It's what we do. So they want to get back on the platform. And the other thing that I'm seeing is this. A lot of organizations now are planning live events. They're getting the venues. They're getting the dates. They're doing everything as if it's going to be live. Um, but they're all poised and they have a plan B to pivot, you know, in the event, uh, that they, that they have to. And, and that's happening in many, many, many places as well. If, you know, if I could wave a magic wand, I would, you know, my hope and, and reasonable expectation would be by the end of 2022, I think um, the world will be have enough control over things that most events will be back on the live stage again. Yeah, fantastic. I'm so echo your sentiments with hybrid. They're a great idea in theory. In practice, to do them well costs a bomb. So if you try and do the cheap version, they're an absolute nightmare. And I suspect what a lot of people will do couple of live events but then go oh but we've got a laptop at the back of the room so everyone else can have a look at it and it's just going to be horrible but what won't be horrible is the way technology has helped us go to different markets so i'm just interested you said you've pivoted a lot and changed a lot in your technology what's changed in terms of your delivery modality is it just speaking because there's so many everyone's a speaker now go to linkedin and speaker is the title everywhere so is just what you're doing speaking. You say that within your business that your wife does a lot of coaching and one-on-one -on -one stuff. So how has what you are offering the market shifted? It hasn't at all. In fact, you know, when I, when I speak um, virtually, 
I use a flip chart. I'm, I don't use PowerPoint slides. And when I speak live, I use flip charts, right? So I'm in my studio. I have my flip chart and I'm standing in, and, I'm, and I'm on a stage. It's just the only difference between being on this stage and on a stage with an audience is my entire audience is that little green light on the, on the camera, right? But I'm standing. I'm dressed. I'm, I'm on the platform. I got my flip chart. I move. I, you know, and I'm, I'm doing all. I got a background. So, you know, do it on in the studio. Do it on the stage. And it looks pretty much the same except the stage. Is more room now with the coaching. You know, uh, there's technologies that I use now that help me do my coaching, so I can share my iPad and I can draw things, and I can, you know, I can use some PowerPoints if I need to. I can engage people, um, you know, pretty much the same. So the content hasn't changed, the delivery hasn't changed very much, except for the fact that it's on a computer instead of online. I really haven't changed very much at all. Where I, I know a lot of other speakers who have big shows, you know, speakers who are, uh, you know, jugglers and hypnotists and all these, all these great things, comedians. And some of them have just done amazing things with their studios where they, they have these massive studios and they do some of their presentation live and then they walk away and they cut to a recorded version and you can't tell what's live and what's recorded. And, and they do that kind of a hybrid thing and they've just mastered it and it's beautiful, you know, but I haven't had to do those, those things. And, and, and I, I engage with people. I get people, I put them on and put them on hot seats and just like, just like I do live. So really nothing has really changed that way. Have you embraced or taken up different ways of earning revenue? Like, you know, it seems a lot of people talking about membership sites and programs and online things. Are you doing any of that or are you just sticking with what you've always done because that's what works for you? Yeah, we tried. We we invested enormously in those things uh, and we lost every dime we invested. Um, and, th- and then some, you know, that was a, a big problem for us because that's not the space that I've ever, I lived in. And, and I've tried to live in that space over and over and over again, many, many, many times over the years. And it's just not something that works for me. And I think maybe part of that is because I just don't have the passion enough for it to stay with it long enough to make it work. So we thought we could buy our way in and it cost us, you know, lots and lots and lots of money and it didn't work. So our, our business model is really very, very simple, you know, where people, people pay me for coaching, people pay me to speak, uh, and they pay me to mentor them. It, it, it's really that simple. So we've got a revenue uh, stream, one-on-one coaching with me, which is the higher ticket stuff. We got a revenue stream with uh, group coaching with me, which happens all the time. That's probably the, you know, the, the most ongoing revenue. And then if you want to pay me to speak, that's the revenue as, as well. Now, that being said, I've got an enormous amount of content that's just sort of sitting in the can. And people are always telling me, Steve, you got to put that into products and get that out there, you know. So for 2022, my plan is to is to start that process. But it's not really where my heart is, you know. It's not where I yeah. live. I don't get up in the morning thinking to myself, boy, I can't wait to write another ebook, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's always, you know, it's like anything that's passive income. It takes a lot of work. Like the whole concept of passive income is a myth. The amount of effort you've got to go into is enormous. So we have seen a lot of change over the last couple of years. Let's just go fantasy time. Look out 10, 20 years, whatever. What do you reckon the speaker's life is going to be like? Are we talking holograms, VRs? What do you really see that is the potential for our industry? Yeah, I think those things will exist. But if I if I look 10 years down the road, what I believe is going to happen is I'm going to look five years back and that's what we're going to see. And my reason for saying that is, again, because, you know, when I talk to speakers all over the world, we talk about all of the great technologies and the hologram stuff and, you know, and, and all of that amazing stuff that's coming out. 
But the truth is, we're speakers. You know, it's in our DNA, it's in our blood, it's in our soul. We need to be on a platform. We need to engage with actual people. We need to get their energy. We need to see their eyeballs. We need to read their body language. You know, we need to hear their laughter and their comments. We need to be in that high engagement uh, environment because that's how we're made. And yep, all of that other stuff's going to exist. I think that's true. But for the professional speaker who was born to share their magnificence with this world, I think if I look back four or five years, that's what it's going to look like 10 years down the road. Yeah, very cool. All right, let's talk about Convention 2022. What excites you about the event? And what are the delegates going to walk away with after your session? Yeah, everything excites me about the event because I, we have a lot of, um, you know, great relationships in your part of the world, you know, in, in Australia, in New Zealand, in the whole Southern Hemisphere. And we, we're just so excited to connect in any way that we can. So uh, that just to reconnect with our family down there, our friends and family is going to be amazing. And what people are going to walk away with, I think, is a better understanding of how they can change the way they're positioned in their market simply by changing the way they speak. You know, change the way they think a little bit so that they change the way they speak a little bit and so that they can change their positioning and sell more. You know, what I find with, with speakers, not just speakers, you know, coaches, trainers, authors, consultants, and, and a lot of us are. A lot of speakers, you know, in the speaking business are, you know, we speak to drive business into a coaching or consulting or, or into something else. And so what I find is coaches, consultants, trainers, authors, we all try and stand out by yelling louder, right? This is my, my five pillars to this, my four secrets to that, or my five strategies to this. And, you know, you have a problem and I can solve it. And all we're really doing is yelling louder than everybody else. And so what people are going to walk away from, walk away with is how can I change the way that I speak so that I don't sound and appear to be the same as everybody else who does what I do. Fantastic. I am looking forward to that session. All right, let's wrap things up with a bit of rapid fire. Just got some quick questions. Come to me with whatever answer pops into your head. When it comes to presenting online, what's your favorite platform? Zooms, Teams, Adobe Connect, GoToWebinar, what's your favorite? Zoom by a mile. Excellent. Uh, what's your favorite tech hack? It's something called Memo Live. It's like OBS, but it's a higher level thing. Yeah, Mimo Live. Man, I'm going to have to check that one out. Uh, what's your favorite productivity hack? iPad Pro and Apple Pencil. I don't have a piece of paper in my entire life. Cool. But you do have backup power just in case you need it. Uh, what's your favorite meal? My favorite meal is oysters and uh, dry, dirty vodka martinis straight up. <laughs> That's a complete nutritional supplement there, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Uh, what's your favorite holiday spot? I think it is uh, Fiji. Have you been there much? Just once. Fell in love. Loved it. Fiji or Cape Town? Big fans of Cape Town, so they're kind of on equal thing. Well, Fiji's just opening up again, and, and uh, so you know, if now's the time. They're doing deals. What's your preference, wine, beer, gin, vodka, or tequila? Uh, all of the above. Excellent. Why choose? Sometimes you can have a bit of everything. If you could have dinner with any three people in the world, who would it be? My wife would be all three. Excellent. Uh, okay. So finally, what's your favorite book or podcast for your professional inspiration? My favorite book has always been and still is uh, Zig Ziglar's first book called See You at the Top. Fantastic. Hey, Steve, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, looking forward to seeing you at Unconvention and I uh, wish you all the very best. Thank you so much. 
Well, thank you for having me. Listen, uh, hats off to you for the work that you're doing. You're contributing enormously to this world and to the speaking community. And I'm really excited to work with you further and uh, and hopefully connect with you again at the Young Convention. Excellent. Listeners, you've just been listening to the lovely Steve Lau, International Legend and Global Speaking Federation President. Thanks so much for being here, Steve. You betcha. Talk soon. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Unconventionally Speaking. We have over 30 unspeakers of this caliber at Unconvention on the 25th and 26th of March. So grab your seat today. Just click the link included in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone that you know who would also get value from this conversation. And follow or subscribe to the show to ensure that you never miss an episode. See you all at PSA Unconvention 2022. This episode is sponsored by Your Podcast Concierge, podcast production for speakers who want to increase their authority and generate leads from their show. You press record and let them do the rest. And to this, I can personally attest.